Thanks, everyone. Nice, hey, nice to be here, right, on a beautiful Sunday morning. A lot better than last week, right? right? Nice to see that you all got home safely and were able to get back here. Yeah. Listen, we're, um, we're doing a, a series on, on damaged goods, okay? And uh, we're in part two of, of damaged goods. And, and we, can, we just, can we just be honest this morning about, about something? Is it, is it not true that life can leave us damaged? Can we just admit that this morning, that there are things that happen in our lives that, 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 that make us feel, make us act less than what God intended? Um, be it... Be it you know, something relationally, be it something health, be it something economically. There's just something that uh, life can throw at us in a way that can make us feel less than. And we can, we can feel damaged. You know, as, as a pastor, um, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter kind of like the, 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 the social position of the person, the economic position of the person, the, you know, the, the relative, what you see externally about, about the individual. There's something, there's something, there's something that they're holding that, that makes them feel less than, you know, this kind of damage. And, you know, humanly speaking, that's what happens when we rub shoulders with each other. Right? You know, somebody, somebody described being together as human beings as, as being with a bunch of porcupines, right? You know, you, you, you want the warmth, but the closer you get, you know, the things start to, you know, um, hurt each other and things like that. And, and you know, what, what do you do? Uh, you know, for many of us, we kind of chase all kinds of avenues to kind of fix ourselves and, and make ourselves better and, and, and hopefully feel better about who we are. And, and, and in a sense, we kind of do it to say, you know, I want to prove so-and-so wrong, right? I want to prove my parents wrong. I want to prove my siblings wrong. I want to, you know, I want to prove this group of people who treated me that way wrong or, or what, what, whatever it is. And, and some of us, you know, build our lives on, on trying to, you know, not, not be what those people categorized us as. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show them, right? You know, how many of you have heard that revenge is the best, uh, you, you know, way, way to, or, or to live well is, is, the, is the best revenge and, and stuff like that. And, and it's surprising, and, you know, especially in a, in a day and age where we fundamentally have everything we could ever dream or hope for, that we still walk around as less than, as damaged in one way or another. And last week, we, we, we dealt with a really difficult one. We dealt with those moments where we're the ones that have damaged ourselves. We're the ones that made a, a decision. We're the ones that had an appetite where we had a need or we had a desire. And we didn't care what anybody else thought. We were going to get our way. We did something that really was damaging, not only to ourselves, but the very people that we cared about. And it was all this collateral damage. And there was all this difficulty and all this, and all this problem that got created. But in the end, if somebody said, you know, how did this happen? you would have to say, you know, it was, it was me. I, I made the dumb decision. And, and, and sometimes it's so hard to forgive ourselves for the decisions that we make that not only hurt others, but hurt ourselves as well. And put us in a kind of category, you know, oh, there's, there's, you know, a literal black sheep. There's the one that did that to the family. There's the one that continues to cause 
heartache to the parent. You know, you know, the categories are, are, are almost endless when it comes to how much we can hurt ourselves and how much we can hurt others. But what do we, you know, what do, we do with all of that? You know, I, I remember um, as I was teaching at the college last week, you know, uh, we got on the topic. You know, I, I teach spiritual formation to young college students. And, um, you know, they were, they were talking about, you, you know, the, 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 the tension that exists in their lives between truth and grace. And how do we be loving with people and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, talking about how how difficult it is to manage that and how difficult it was for them to forgive themselves of things that, that were going on in their lives. And at such a young age, you know, to see themselves put, put themselves in this category. And we talked about what it means, what it means when, when a broken human being confronts and is met by the grace of God. That's, that, that's such... That's such an incredible dynamic that there's something that happens there. There's, there's something that we, we honestly maybe can experience to a certain degree as human beings, but doesn't necessarily come to fruition or come to its full you know, form until we see it and we experience it from God. Because who could judge us worse than God? And if you know that you have ultimate forgiveness... From the creator of the universe. If you know that you have ultimate redemption. And if you know you are fully healed in his sight. What better place to be than that? Especially, especially when we do it to ourselves. But you know, there's people, you know, there's people in our lives too. Where we kind of we look at their lives and, and we go, wow. They've gone through one difficulty after another, after another, after another, after another. How do they cope? How do they manage? You know, it's one thing when you make the mistake yourself. It's one thing when you, you know, I made the decision. I have to deal with it and I can get, you know, I have to go get myself taken care of or whatever. But what happens when everything looks external? What happens when, you know, you're just trying to do the very best you can and life just keeps throwing stuff at you? And, you know, and, and, and it's like the fit fan is continually on and is continually coming back to, to hit you, right? You know, what, what happens? How do you manage that? How do you take care of that? How do you, how do you deal with that, you know? Um, and it's like, you know, I'm trying to do the very best I can. And you get to a point where you say, why do I even continue to do good? Why do I even continue to do the right thing? Because it doesn't seem to matter. Have you ever said that to yourself? It doesn't seem to matter that I continue to do the right thing. It's just whatever we do, it doesn't seem to do any good. So I might as well just give up or I just might as well whatever. You know, I think many of us have been to that point. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, I did the right thing and this is what I get for it. Or I did, you know, if anything convinces you, by the way, that sin is real, is that doing the good thing or the right thing is more often than not in life the most difficult thing. Or the thing that's likely going to get you into the most trouble. Right? Have you ever found yourself saying, you know, I have to do the right thing or I have to do the good thing, but that is not going to be the comfortable thing or the easy thing. In fact, that's going to cause a lot more messiness. And that's what my students were saying about how, how messy life is when you try to do life in real. 
in, in, you know, in real format. Life gets extremely, extremely messy. So what do we do? No, we're going to look at a story today of a very, you know, a very popular person in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, uh, the, the person of Joseph. And if you know anything about the story of Joseph, Joseph had one mess after another. In fact, his whole life started by the fact that his brothers disliked him so much because daddy, he was daddy's favorite. Okay. Any of daddy's favorites in here today? No? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, but he was, he was daddy's favorite to the point that the other brothers hated him and actually sold him into slavery. And then told the father that some animal had killed him. If you ever wonder about if you have family dynamics that aren't quite 100%, okay? (laughs) Right? You know, know, it's one time to compare, right? You know, and and, and thinking that that was bad enough, it just continued to get worse. His entire life was, you know, a a life of circumstances and situations that would revolve around him doing the very best. And when he got, um, you know, to the end of his life, you know, he could have he could have categorized it as a particular way. Because one difficulty after another difficulty after another difficulty after another difficulty. But all through his life. There's some significant lessons that we can learn because we've all been in that place where we say, you know, I've I've done the right thing. I should have gotten this because isn't it true that when we say that we do the right thing, we expect this kind of an outcome. Like things should happen this way because, you know, we have the whole, you know, fairness quotient at life. And we have the whole, you know, do the right thing equals getting the very best possible. But that equation doesn't always work. And especially in the life of Joseph, we're going to look at his life. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning is the passage uh, right at the very end when the father of all the sons has died. And um, what happens with the brothers? Because the brothers now are very afraid that Joseph is going to do payback. Okay? After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now that the protector of the family is dead, right? The brothers fear that Joseph's going to do retribution. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, he said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, notice how they go, not our father. Okay? Notice, that, that's very intentional. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their sin in treating you so cruelly. Okay? So full acknowledgement of, what, of what's happened. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive us. Beg you to forgive us. Now, I, I love this line. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Okay. Joseph has his entire life, the entire trajectory of his life started in a very bad way 
because he was sold into slavery by these very brothers. Sold into slavery to a caravan that was heading to Egypt. And Joseph's life ended up being spent in Egypt, separated from his family, separated from his brothers. And, you know, through some, you know, um, miraculous working of God brought the brothers into Egypt, you know, where Joseph had elevated himself, gotten to a very powerful place in Egypt and uh, was able to... uh, uh, figure out that these were really his brothers, but but imagine 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 for a minute imagine all the all the justification Joseph would have had. Imagine all the emotional pain Joseph would have had. Imagine how how many of us would have said, "You know what? Now's your chance." Look at everything that these people have done to you, and they claim to be your family. Why would, you, why would you even care to do anything for them at all? Why would you want to enact any amount of grace? And yet what we have here is Joseph breaking down and weeping. Why? Isn't, isn't this almost unnatural when you think about it? about how you would, you, would, you would think about your moment to get back at the people who set your entire life in a certain direction, on a certain trajectory. What would happen? And now's your chance. Don't you think, don't you think at the very, very least, he would have done some kind of payback? Don't you think at the very least, he could have you know, made them pay for a little while? I don't know about you, but this is one of those statements in the Bible that kind of reveal a person's heart and a person's character more than almost like the entire stories put together. You know what I'm saying? Like this, when you have a reaction like this, it tells you what's really at the core of the human being. You know, we read about the experiences that Joseph had gone through. You read about, you know, everything that, that, that happened to him. And that's the narrative and that's the story, etc., etc. But the reality is, this tells you more about the heart of Joseph than any other statement in the Bible. That he would respond in this way. And I'll, I'll probably repeat it a number of times, a number of times. Joseph is able to respond and to view his life the way he does simply because he knows the character and the person of God and tends to emulate that in his own life. You see, there's a very human expectation of how to respond. This is a very godly way to respond, which almost feels unnatural for us because it's full of grace absolutely full of grace okay let's keep reading because there's more then his brothers came and threw themselves down before joseph look we are your slaves oh let, let me get let me get it right you sold me into slavery years ago and you were fine to tell dad that i was dead and i was gone and yet now here you are prostate before me Telling me that you are my slaves. 
have I got a job for you? Right? Well, I got a job for you. But, but, Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? This is, uh, uh, this is a line you need to etch into your heart. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and listen to this and your children and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Now, if you were one of those brothers had sold him into slavery, what are you thinking right now? All right, you're not thinking at all. I kind of, I kind of get that. <laughs> Sorry, no, I just, just kidding. Okay, you know, aren't you, aren't you a little flabbergasted at this point? Aren't you like kind of feeling like this is, this is almost, this is unbelievable? Or, or maybe this is a, a, a way of really getting back for, from us, and he's waiting for us to lower our guard. Oh, yeah. Or he's, he's absolutely gone off the deep end, and, but I'm okay with it, right? You know? This is, do you feel the tension of the text? Because this is so unnatural, isn't it? It's so unnatural. It's playing out in a way that we would not expect. In fact, some of us would be so angry. Why don't you get them back for what they did to you? And in fact, it doesn't matter that you were elevated. You got to a certain point because you worked for that. You got it done. You were able to, to fix a situation that somebody, you know, dealt you that you did not deal yourself. And you made the very best of a worse situation, of the bad situation. Good for you, Joseph. And guess what? God's blessed you because now he's given you an opportunity for payback. How many of us would have thought that? Right? Right? That's, that's the human side. And that's the way we can justify, you know, how God has brought this situation into our very last. Because God's seen my pain. And God's going to make it right. Okay? We have to be very, very, very careful here. You know, but how do you get this Joseph mindset? How do you get this, this, this ability to view things the way Joseph did? Let me, let me give you five really quick ones that uh, getting through this story. Number one is this. Um, to having a Joseph mindset, God's got this. And what I, what I mean by that is the whole sovereignty of God, you know. If you read the story of Joseph and you read it through, you know, the entire... It's one of the longest narratives, by the way, in the Bible. About, you know, David is a long narrative, Psalms long. Like, there's a reason why the Bible has these long narratives. Because there's great lessons to be learned. Every single situation that Joseph found himself in, by the way, there's a little phrase that happens throughout it that the writer kind of puts in to the text to remind you about something. And, and the little phrase is this, God was with Joseph. 
Whether he was in prison, whether, you know, whether he was being you know, attacked by his brothers, whether, whatever, whatever circumstance or situation he found himself in, that little phrase keeps popping up that God was with Joseph. No matter, no matter what, Joseph was confident that God was in the midst of the situation and the circumstance. As difficult as it was, and the, the years he spent wrongly imprisoned, wrongly accused, wrongly, you know, um, even, even to the point that he actually was doing good in one situation and still ended up in prison because of it. What was, what was remarkable is that no matter what happened in his life, he understood that God was with him. And there's times in our lives that we think God has checked out. And we say, you know, when I look at the externals of my life and the, the, you know, the circumstances and the situations, how could God allow this? How could God bring this into my life? And we can even go as far as to say, does God know what I've done for him? But there's something about if God brings you to it, he's going to take you through it that we forget. That there's something about the life of Joseph that no matter what he experienced, whether it was in prison or at the very height of power in the nation of Egypt, God was equally there in both situations. And in both circumstances. And if there's one constant in our lives, is the fact that God is there. That God's got this. That God was with Joseph. Here's the, here's the second thing. And I think even as believers, we, we struggle with this. Nothing is too broken for God to fix. You know? Imagine... Imagine if Joseph had taken all his situations and said, you know what? I'm beyond repair. I'm just damaged goods. It seems like everything I get, I get involved in just goes south for me. Like I'm, you know, in fact, don't we start to say, I'm kind of bad luck. I'm kind of, I got kind of, I have this bad karma thing going on in my life. You know, you don't want me involved because if you get me involved, it's, it's, it's bound to end up badly. Right? And how many of us can say, you know, look at that person's life. Uh, every time they try something, it goes, Ooh. okay? And if we're not careful, we put them in a category that says unfixable. We put them in a category that says beyond repair. We put them in a category that says, let's just leave them over there. Okay? Now, I'm not a big proponent of you being able to fix yourself. I'm not. I think you need a lot of divine help, to be honest. A lot of divine help. Right? That's why the bookshelves in, in chapters and indigo and that, the, the, the greatest uh, uh, category that expands every year is the self-help category. Right? You, you kind of wonder that that would be reduced more and more every year, but... here's why because for everything you fix there's another thing that gets messed up sorry just human nature right 
How many? And you and when we get to that point, we believe we're beyond hope. You see, um, I've said this before. When you get to a place where you feel helpless, you eventually feel hopeless. And here's the other, here's the other thing. This is one of the reasons, other than the whole theological thing, why I believe God created us. Because surely, if God created us, God can surely fix us. If, you know, if, he, if, he, if he's the one that you know, gave us you know, our capacities as human beings, understands us the most, he can surely, surely fix us. That's, you know. Um, isn't it interesting, by the way, artificial intelligence and robots, all the warnings that are happening in our world about AI? Because, you know, like, there's this whole scary thing. Doesn't it bother you that human beings who functionally created robots are afraid that they're not going to be able to control them? Seriously? The artificial intelligence... You know, we got Elon, you know, Musk and, and Diamatis and all these, you know, scientists and famous people who are warning us about artificial intelligence. That scares me that the very people who tend to create it are afraid they can't control it or can't fix it. Okay. Let's keep, let's, let's keep going. Okay, number three, working the past for a better future. Now, I intentionally worded this this way, and I want to be very careful how I say that. I want to be very careful. Um, I worded this a particular way. I could have said, I could have said, do not allow your past to determine your future. I'm not sure that's healthy. Okay? Some of you have experienced something horrible in your past. But it's made you who you are today. It's given you the compassion that you have today. It's given you the empathy you have today. It's given you the motivation to never have that happen to you again. It's given you the drive. It's given you, you know, the, the extent of capacities that you would never have had without that experience. As difficult as it was, as painful as it was, it is what has shaped you today. And in many ways, and in many ways, though you may not fully agree with it, it has been a gift in your life, hasn't it? If you're brutally honest, it has, in some ways, been a gift in your life. At the, at the very least, at the very least, the very least, work your past for your future. Not totally ignore it, but take those lessons and use them for a more powerful, more effective future. You know, that's, you know, that's what Joseph was able to do. Is to, is to see his past and how it shaped his future in a way that, that if he saw himself as invalidated by that past, it would not have helped at all. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Good always trumps evil, Right? We, it may not feel like good is trumping evil right in the moment, right now, right here. And it may be years before you see that. But, you know, there was one situation where, where um, uh, Joseph's working in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife 
wants to sleep with Joseph. And Joseph is going, no way. I'm, you know, I'm running away. From... And, and he, avoided, he tried to avoid her, all this stuff. And what ended up happening is she ended up accusing him anyway. And he ended up in prison. The guy who was doing the right thing. How many of us would have said, I might as well because I'm going to get blamed for it anyway. It would have been very easy, honestly, to have rationalized that for him. But he didn't. And he ended up in prison because of it. But good always trumps evil. Good always trumps evil. It's just you're not going to always see it in the moment. And in fact, you may end up in a very dark place because you did the right thing. Because you did the right thing, you know, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Joseph says to his brother, you meant this. You, you intended this for evil, but God took it and intended it for good. That he was able to save, you know, people innumerable without measure is actually, you know, what's implied in the text. That so many people in the nation of Egypt, because of the famine, because of what Joseph was able to do, and and because of the, the number of people that got saved, because of the ingenuity of Joseph and what he was able to do for the nation of Egypt. He was able to save, you know, many people. And we don't know future how many people got impacted. Because imagine if Joseph had said, I am done with you, brothers. I want nothing to do with this nation, all of that stuff, and and shied them away and did do revenge. What difference would it made in the history of Israel and them going into Egypt and, you know, the, the story as it unfolds from there? It would have been a dramatic turn of events. And God would have had to orchestrate other events to make it all happen. But he used Joseph instead. But... We are not, we are not always going to feel that doing the right thing is the best thing. But for Joseph, he saw that very clearly. He saw that very, very, very clearly. Here's here's the last one. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. And and here's the here's the deal with this. Here's here's the deal with this. You may not always feel in control of your story. But at the very least, God is going to let you write the headline. You may not always feel in control of your story. But God is going to at least allow you to write the headline over your story. You see, Joseph could have written the headline, got revenge after years of difficulty, after years of things going badly for me, got revenge from the people that set my whole life up for failure. That could have been the headline. Instead, the headline was, you know, God was able to take this and do good out of it and save many people. And though it was difficult for me at times... I witnessed the hand of God through all of it. And here I am today. You may not get to write parts of the story. But you can certainly write the headline. And what summary it makes of the situation or the circumstance that you just went through. 
Forgiveness gives you freedom from the one or the ones that hurt you. Henry Cloud just recently on Instagram wrote this. People who forgive have a host of positive traits that benefit them in their ability to get along with others as well as their overall functioning in life. They have a better ability to move on with life after something goes wrong. And they don't dwell on getting even by persistent rumination. They are just a whole lot better off. If you think about it, who wouldn't be better off if they were not walking around with a lot of resentment, toxic anger, or hatred, and a head full of negative thoughts over an event in the past or toward persons who hurt them? Forgiveness is defined as canceling a debt. In other words, justice demands that if someone does something bad to you, he or she owes you. They should not have done it, whatever it was, and they must fix it or make it right. And of course, that is true. Notice that he's not saying that there isn't a corrective to this. There isn't a, you know, uh, some kind of understanding that something needs to happen to make it to make it right. But he's talking about what happens to you inside. You can literally hold it against them, meaning you have a valid claim against them in legal parlance. But to forgive someone means they no longer owe you anything because you have let go of that offense. Just like a bank writes off a loan and lets it go, forgiving someone, you let go of the offense. Taken right out of the ledger and things are back to zero. See, to have the mindset of Joseph and to have this unexpected outcome that this story ends up on, you really need to have the heart and the mind of God. Because whenever brokenness meets the grace of God, grace always wins. Grace always wins. We saw it in the life of the prodigal son. We see it in the life of Joseph, who could have written an entirely different headline at the end of Genesis. And yet, because he has the heart and the mind of his heavenly father, we have the benefit today of experiencing what it's like when we meet brokenness with the grace of God. Jesus said, you know, John wrote that Jesus came, you know, with truth and with grace. And he was the personification of God's grace to the world around us. Came and achieved for us something that we could never achieve on our own. This redemption, this forgiveness, because people can change. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the life of Joseph. And Lord, even though we just briefly went through the end of all that he experienced, Lord, we're thankful for the lesson.
of how Joseph reflected the heart of the father. That Joseph, knowing that God was with him in every situation and circumstance, brought him to a place of aligning his own heart with his heavenly father. And Lord, the same is true for us. I know there are moments when we act gracious, that others look and wonder if we're all there. And yet we know that in order to break the cycle for many of us, grace needs to be prevalent in our lives. So Lord, thank you for the lessons of this day. And we pray that you would bless us as we learn more about having your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.